The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Got a couple of my favorites in this one. Brian Kenny. You know how much I love me some Brian Kenny, MLB Now and MLB Network. Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com. And Craig Mish from South Florida. This is the guy that breaks all the stories down in South Florida and sometimes around baseball. But we'll start with the best show on television. And I know I'm a baseball geek, but I love this show. It's my favorite show. I tape it every single day. MLB Now. It's the most informative baseball show that there has ever been in the business. And the host is Brian Kinney. And I love Brian Kinney when he did boxing. Uh, Still does it with Showtime, but he did it at ESPN and was an anchor at ESPN. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. Here is Brian Kinney. Well, you know, he is one of our favorites, Brian Kinney of MLB Network. Of course, you can watch Brian host MLB Network's MLB Now. We save at 1 p.m. Pacific. Plus, MLB Network will air seven live summer camp games beginning this Saturday. Visit MLBNetwork.com for the latest schedule. Great to have you on the program again. And how are you enjoying summer camp? Um, it's different, but the fact that we're doing anything is good. Um, you know, back at work, you know, we're like everybody else. We were out. We we're just waiting for things to happen. So, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. I think team by team, everybody's doing their best. Having uh, their summer camps at their stadium, that's uh, very different. So we're just trying to, you know, get everything together and get ready and, and hope everything works out well. You know, I, I told you down at the winter meetings in San Diego how obviously your show is my favorite show. And with you guys gone, I mean, I like watching yesteryear games, but I, I missed the show. It's great to have you back. And, yes, I have the younger kids watching it, so I'm trying to improve your demo. <laughs> Thank you. We we our our young demo used to be pretty good. We used to, you know that was the uh, that was the sabermetric set. I think everyone kind of talks that language now. But anything to talk baseball is is good now. And I think that's you know, uh, you know we're not out of this yet. We're still very much in it, but we're trying to live with it with the the virus still being in the country around the world. And uh, in order, just the things that we took for granted, now we, we see the value in all these things, including the, just the rhythm of baseball being, you know, either at the foreground of what we're thinking of or, or just our background where it's, it's on in the background and you can hear it. And it's part of our summer again. You know, you guys did the recap of the offseason yesterday. I'm glad you did that because it's just it seems so long ago that we were in San Diego and Garrett Cole was signing <laughs> and then Anthony Rendon. I mean, it's just crazy to think how long ago that was. But I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you guys did that. So we kind of got an idea. OK, where are we once again? Who went where? That was good that you guys did that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wrote that up myself because I, I know that happens to me. I can't even tell you how many times I'm thinking, wait, this guy's there. Wait, who's the manager of this team? Like, wait, what? Like, we, you had it in your head and it was pretty firm in February. 
and then three months out. So even as I said on the top of the show, I'm glad you liked it. I said, don't worry, we'll give you a refresher course. Like, because a lot of big things happen, but you can't be expect to retain all this information, you know, just three months after being gone. And it hasn't been a whole other season since. Nothing's happened, but uh, everything is kind of like just in a stall pattern. So even we, you know, even at the network, we've, you know, we go over rosters, we look at things, try to figure out, oh, wait, he's here, he's there. Everybody's in this together. We all feel the same things. Well, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about because we knew we'd have you on at some point. How do you feel about the universal DH? I think it makes sense this year. I'm down on it overall. I like the, uh, I like strategy. I like uh, managers having to think things through and make switches and do, uh, and, and have all, just all the things that happen when you have a pitcher in the lineup. That said, it wouldn't make sense to do it this year. If you can eliminate uh, pitchers getting up and down and the possibility of being injured, you have to take that off the table. So it makes sense this year. Yeah, I, I'm kind of, for me, it's always what's really separated the American League from the National League. Because otherwise, if it's a universal DH, it becomes like the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL. There's really no difference in leagues. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I, I know people have been kind of – I don't know why people ask for it or why people seem to love it because anytime we play a World Series and we go to the National League Park, it, I, I always remind people of this, it always gets more interesting. The game is more interesting. Baseball is more interesting. And yet it just gets overwhelmed. Oh, we don't want to see pitchers hit. Yeah, but that's not the point. Uh, the point is you have to do more strategy. It's more of a thinking man's game. And we have time to ponder these things. Baseball doesn't, you know, doesn't continue to move. It stops and starts. So I enjoy it. And I don't know why it just kind of swept through that. I think the general sentiment is just go all DH. I don't like it, but, but I see what's happening. All right. What do you think in a 60-game season will be more of a trend? Basically tandem pitching or using the opener? Oh, I think tandem pitching seems to be out there a lot more uh, because an opener is, I mean, it's the same rules apply. You can either bullpen or you can tandem start, uh, but they are two separate things. And I think it'll make things easier in the short sprint. Most every club with very few exceptions, once you get past your third starter, um, you're, you're looking at your, you know, third, fourth, fifth day starter. Um, you're better off just going three innings a pop with, with those guys, either because they can throw harder, they can concentrate better, or they're not quite as ready, not as stretched out, or you're just kind of minimizing your risk and you have a 30 man roster for two weeks. So I think there's just going to be a lot more of that where it's like, Hey, both of these guys, neither is great, but they both can be good uh, for say two and a third, three and a third. And there's lots of pitchers who are at that level. You know, I'm wondering if we're finally going to get what I've always wanted, because I, I have this running bad joke that if I get on a Southwest flight and I can't get to you within three hours, we should not be in the same division. And that's why yeah. I've always said Houston, Texas, you know, because when the Giants come to town or the Dodgers come to town, our attendance skyrockets. We're now going to see more of a West Coast. I mean, you guys got what you got going on the East Coast, bus for the West Coast. Could this potentially change going forward where we understand less travel for the West Coast teams, better attendance? Could this be something that's happening? I think it will accelerate it. Uh, and look, I'm, I'm a traditionalist with baseball. I love the tradition of the American League and the National League and the divisions and all of that. And yet, I also understand, like, if you went back 
and you were forming baseball in, say, 1903, when the American League was originated, and you were putting together one Major League Baseball league, there's no way you would have two teams in one city and never play each other. Like, you wouldn't do it. It would be the opposite of what you would do. So I understand uh, now, if you're looking at it saying, hey, wait a second, we just did that last year. Why can't we continue? We won't alienate our fan base. And I think most of the younger fans, no, there's just very few American League and National League fans now. You're fans of the sport, uh, players, a team. And I think the time is, if it hasn't come, it's coming very quickly where it's time to think of some sort of radical realignment. Well, I'm looking at this division with the Astros, the Dodgers, the A's. How do you feel about the A's and for our fan base in this 60-game sprint against some very good teams in the West? I think they're the most fascinating team out there. I think they're uniquely equipped to pitch in this, uh, this sort of 60-game sprint in that they just have a, a lot of young arms. They have um, you know, high-level young arms. Maybe that wouldn't be the equal of like some elite rotation, but enough of them to throw at people and be kind of like a better version. Well, maybe not better, maybe better than the Rays. Uh, also, I think that they're, that's a 97-win team last year. I think they're, uh, if not a, they're not a super team, but they're better than that middle class of teams that we're looking at, like White Sox, Reds, Mets. They're better than that. And I think they're just going to be an outstanding you know, club this year. For uh, They would have been anyway, but I think in 60 games, it'll be even better. And you have a manager and obviously a front office that has a nimble mindset that is ready to approach it. Not, not going into this going, well, we're just going to let, you know, hey, it's still baseball. No, no, this is not the same baseball. It's much closer to tournament baseball. And I think the A's will be more mentally prepared for that. And I'm fascinated, you know, when I think of Billy Bean, I think of David Forrest or anybody else, the front offices, there's going to be a lot of moving parts, especially early. How they handle the rosters will be pretty fascinating, don't you think? Yeah, and Bob Melvin is very good at that. And I would say, look, you really got to sit down and think about it. Think, all right, we have a 30-man for, for this first two-week period. How do we exploit that? You know, now, obviously, you, the league is doing it because you just you want to be careful. You want to preserve health, um, that sort of thing. That said, it's, all, it's a competitive game. You're going to look at ways that you can use it, and mostly that's pitching. So uh, I think they'll just be throwing arms out there. Not a total bullpen attack, but there's just going to be – they're going to be very fluid, and I think that is, uh, you know, managing with your hair on fire. That's going to serve teams the best uh, early on in this season. You know, you guys had a live look in yesterday down in Tampa, and to see Glass now out on the mound. Obviously, he tested positive for COVID nineteen, but a lot of the these younger in state people are going to be asymptomatic or have very little systems, uh, little issues. Uh, how nice was it to see him out on the mound and, and, and throw him the baseball? Well, it is nice to see players who have tested positive and then, then coming back. Obviously, this is, in the, uh, this is just the backdrop of what's happening across the country that, yes, you're getting a lot of positive tests. That's frightening. Are we going to have to roll back? Are we going to be back in quarantine? Or is this something, uh, as we see the death rate not as high, is this something that's more survivable if we're all you know, out there, so to speak, in a limited area? but trying to go about our lives. Um, you know, again, these are larger questions, but you can see that within the baseball, uh, within you know, the game of baseball and see that, all right, players have had it. Some like Freddie Freeman said they're very sick. 
Others say, I don't feel really anything. I don't know how I tested positive. So to see a player come back um, and come back and be, you know, I believe reasonably healthy is heartening that, hey, obviously these guys are professional athletes. They're younger. They have very good health care. But it is heartening to see, hey, we can get through this because as we remember, and look, I'm in the New York area. Uh, March was frightening. Hospitals are overloading. Thousand people are dying a day. That's frightening to see people get through this and come out the other side on a regular basis. Uh, it's something that we all should look at and, and I think at least feel encouraged. Let's end on this. I know Fangraphs did a simulated 60 game season, and there was a boatload of teams that were there at the very end vying for the postseason. What do you think this last week is going to be like if we potentially have, I don't know, 13 to 15 teams? all vying for just a couple spots. Yeah, it's, I think it is going to be kind of crazy, and it'll be a lot of fun. I do believe – now, one division that you know, I was talking about, the A's, uh, I don't know how much separation there will be between the Astros and the A's. This is not the same A's team uh, – uh, excuse me, not the same Astros team as last year. So uh, I think the A's might be uh, more of a, like a division contender here because if you're a wild card contender – and especially going up against central division teams, a few of them can really fatten up on the schedule and, and playing, you know, a steady diet of Tigers and Royals. It might be difficult for the teams in the East and West who are just facing more rigorous competition every day to get a jump on those clubs. But I'm with you. I mean, it's, you know, what we think of, hey, the difference between 82 wins and 88, that's a difference between an also-ran and a playoff team. That's six game. That's only a six-game difference. So this is a third of a season. It's going to be two games swinging either way where either you are a 500 team or you're in the playoffs. MLB now the show for the thinking fan. No question is the best baseball show on television weekdays, 1 p.m. Pacific plus MLB network will air seven live summer camp games beginning this Saturday. Visit MLBnetwork.com for the latest schedules. Brian, you know how much we love your show and we appreciate your time. Be safe. And hopefully next time we're talking, we're actually talking about baseball games. Uh, we'll do that then. Thank you so much for your kind words. I appreciate it. And, and best of luck out there, too. I'll be watching. Always great to have him on, Sarah Langs. Sarah's the top researcher. You can't beat Sarah Langs on Twitter or the great articles she does on MLB.com. We're always so happy to have her. Here's Sarah. Well, Sarah, it is great not only to hear you, but it's great to see you. How are you? Yes, it's great to see you and hear you. I'm doing well. You know, we have baseball back. I've watched every single game of the season so far. I'm proud of that. So, you know, going to keep that streak up as long as I can. So um, let's start with your Mets. Okay. Jed Lowry can't get on the field, and Yoenna Cespedes disappears and then claims he's opting out. What's going on with our former A's there in New York? Yeah, it's – I mean, there are a couple different things going on, as you, as you alluded to. Obviously, some injury issues, the – Jed Lowry thing has been going on his entire Mets career at this point. Not in, you know, eight plate appearances in September last year, and that's it. The Mets also can't hit with runners in scoring positions. So, I mean, take all of the other stuff aside. There's a lot of on-field problems in terms of how the team has looked. Pete Alonso has only a handful of hits this year. He had the one big screaming home run over the monster. But other than that, he hasn't really, hasn't really done much. And the Cespedes, I mean, that was just a... It's just a weird turn of events. You know, I, I felt 
like the way that it all played out was just pretty confusing. And I'm not sure we even know exactly what happened in what sequence of time. Well, our, our guy, Brian Kinney today on MLB now talked about how 9.1 strikeouts per game at an all time high and batting average in the game is at an all time low at 237. So we've had a lot of people like my producer, Cody, who says batting average is overrated. Uh, well, now you see what happens when batting average doesn't work and balls don't get put in play. You, you have a hard time scoring runs. Yeah, I think that everyone expected uh, runs per game to be way up this year with the designated hitter in the National League and just that like injection into the offense. But the runs per game right now is a little bit below what it was last year, significantly so. I think it's about half a run. And it is pretty, pretty jarring to see that league-wide batting average. Obviously, you know, batting average is not the only thing, but it is certainly notable when across the league we're on pace for the lowest batting average in the season ever. And when we're on pace to set the strikeout record again, which has happened every season since I think it's either 2007 or 2008. And I think that a lot of people thought that this season might look different just because of the long layoff that players had and everything else. But it really feels like we're in one of those pitching is ahead of the hitting right now. And at this point that could end up being half the season because the season is two months. Yeah. It's, it's like pitching's just not ahead of the hitting pitching is dominating the hitting. Yeah. I mean, Shane Bieber, right? Like he, he's done all that. That is not to take away from him whatsoever, but he's literally done something that nobody else has done since 1954. And that's the only other guy to do it ever with 27 strikeouts in his first two starts. And obviously Carl Spooner, that was in September, whole different thing anyway. But the fact that he's come out and there have been so many great pitchers to make two starts in a season and start a season off over the course of time, right? Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, none of these guys ever did that. The fact that Shane Bieber is out there doing that in part just shows me where we're at with strikeouts right now. Yeah, it kind of scares me with the A's because you look at the box score and you just go down the line and so many guys are scuffling. But the one that is just we're, – we're at a point where we really have to ask some questions here, and you've really helped us out with Chris Davis. I mean, these numbers are beyond alarming how bad he's been dating all the way back to last April. Yeah. I mean, that batting, I mean, I feel like Cody and I have been texting about that every single night of the season. And, you know, the batting average keeps going down. The strikeout total keeps going up. And it's really, really concerning. I mean, he's such a fun player to watch. And it's, you know, everyone loves the 247 thing. Talk about batting average. That's not a great one. But everyone also loves to see him hit 40 home runs. And the fact that he's not doing that. And I mean, I'm just looking at his stack cast page right now. And there are these little uh, sliders on the top of the page with his rankings in different categories. And almost everything is blue. Blue is low. Red is high. This is a guy who two or three years ago would be in the red categories for pretty much everything. Exit velocity, hard hit, everything else like that. Expected slugging, barrel rate. And now he's just, I mean, he's whiffing a ton, striking out a ton, and just not, not making contact. Yeah, it's 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 we talked about it yesterday on the pregame show and the postgame show. And I'm going to talk about it a lot on today's show is how pitchers are just going right after him. And you're seeing him get down 0-2-1-2 almost every single at bat to where two, three, four years ago, pitchers were scared to come in and challenge him. They're just coming right after him. The scouting reports out there that he is struggling to make contact and you get ahead and he's done. 
He's swinging at 74% of first pitches. That is an insane number. Like, I'm thinking about Javi Baez, who swings at a lot of first pitches, and Jeff McNeil, who swings at a lot of first pitches. And yes, it is early, and yes, it is a small sample size, but you're talking about almost 75% of the time he swings at the first pitch. I mean, I would probably be able to get on a mound and know how to pitch to that guy. Obviously, I can't throw (laughs) hard enough. And I would hurt myself and a lot of other things. But if you know that you have a three-fourths chance that he's going to swing at that first pitch. I mean, put it right down Broadway right there to start. I mean, that's incredibly concerning. And, you know, we see guys get off to bad starts all the time. Christian Yelich is also off to a bad start. I'm less concerned about Christian Yelich because underlying numbers and everything else, we know what kind of hitter he is. But for a guy like Chris Davis, who's relied so much on that power stroke, I think that this is really concerning. And he's always been a bit of a free swinger and – for that to be intensifying even more with this lack of success is really concerning. You know, for the first time in uh, quite a few years, the Astros look vulnerable. I mean, they're still five and four. The A's are five and four, but they're definitely not the same team. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I, a lot of people are picking the A's. I mean, they were a sneaky fun pick to win the division you know, everyone was like, maybe this Astros thing is over. And a lot of people were picking them to finally win that playoff series and get deep into the postseason. And I've just been, as someone who loves to see every team have their day at some point, you know, over the course of a couple of years, I've been disappointed because I wanted the A's to really take advantage of how the Astros have looked and they haven't yet. You know, I, there's still time. I think that they still could, but both of these teams being five and four is not what anyone, what anyone expected. And I think the Astros will probably figure it out but obviously the Verlander injury we don't know I mean I think the reports were that he was out for the year then he disputed that we don't know what's going on there and we haven't had an update since I think that was opening day or uh, a couple days after opening day but I mean they're definitely in a different kind of position and I don't know if you guys have talked about but all of the rookies they have on that pitching staff I mean I think they have what 12 rookie pitchers right now something something crazy and it's not close to a record yet or anything like that because you ultimately see those with teams that are really bad in a season but it's not what you expect out of this Astros team and it's not the Astros that we've known now since 2017. And I got to tell you, you know, we're all playing out West here and looking at the NL West, I I can't tell you how impressed I am with the Colorado Rockies who start the season on the road during a pandemic, right? I mean, we started at home. I thought that was a gift. I mean, you got to get on a plane, you got hotels, you got buses, you're going to the two states that are total hotspots in Texas and California. We have the most cases out of anybody. Um, which not a lot of people are talking about and you have a great road trip and now you go back home. I mean, the Rockies at six and two, I mean, you have to be impressed. Oh yeah. I mean, ultimately it always comes down to the pitching with them, right? I mean, the seasons that have been the best for them in franchise history have been when they've been able to pitch at Coors Field, which is always the question. And they were leading the majors in ERA entering Friday. And I looked it up and it was five games into the season for them. They'd only had one season in franchise history where they led the majors in ERA, even five games into a season. And of course, every single reply to that tweet was, oh, they haven't played a course yet. But then they went out and they played really well over the weekend, you know, and they showed that that's not just what's going on here. Kyle Freeland looked really good. He was using his changeup. It was just a whole different kind of Rockies team. Ultimately, I don't know if I think that they necessarily even end up making the playoffs here, but I do think that this is a really great start for them. I don't think anyone saw this coming. I mean, the team that people 
wanted to put as the sneaky good team in that division was the Padres, who got off to a really great start and then faltered a little bit playing the Rockies, obviously. Um, but I think the Padres are a team that we sort of expect to be good next year. I don't know if the Rockies are quite there, but it's been fun. I mean, it's just fun to see teams that you're not expecting do well. So looks like the Marlins are going to get going again here. Uh, we're going to have to see these seven inning double headers because, you know, you look at what's happened with St. Louis now um, as they've had the players test positive. It really kind of irks me as everybody's trying to do the right thing and knowing a couple franchises haven't done the right thing and they've broken protocol. But uh, I, it'll be good to see the Marlins get going again. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that every single day is a test with all of this. And every day we've seen different things happening with all of these different teams, especially in the last week and a half now. We had the Marlins and the Phillies related, and then that affected the Yankees. And then, you know, we have the Cardinals and all of this is happening. But, I mean, I think it's a good sign that the Marlins are in a position where they feel like they're going to be able to play those games in Baltimore and, you know, get back to playing. And, you know, we'll see. And they've made a couple little trades. I know that they traded for Richard Blyer and I want to say another pitcher, though I can't remember who it was. So we'll see, you know, what their roster looks like compared to what it looked like earlier in the year. I know they called up a couple of guys, but ultimately that if this is going to work, these kinds of things are going to need to happen and that teams are going to have to be able to bounce back in some way. So it's, it's a good step, I suppose. What is the biggest shocker for you so far, good or bad? Oh, wow. Um, biggest shocker. I mean, I was pretty surprised by the starts by Bellinger and Yelich. I know Yelich now hasn't played in a handful of days and Bellinger homered yesterday. So hopefully he's now on a better pace, but I mean, those are our NL MVPs the last two years and they've, I mean, Yelich has had two outstanding seasons, you know, if not for getting hurt last year, he's probably even more in that NL MVP race last year. And just seeing both of them hitting in the 100s, having negative war on fan graphs. Yelich at one point, he might still be, was tied for the least war among all position players on fan graphs with Hunter Pence. I mean, that's not where we expect Christian Yelich to be. And that's not where he's been at any point in this Milwaukee career. So I think those have been some surprises, but you know, positive surprises. Padres have been a ton of fun to watch. I really didn't expect them to necessarily be here yet. And I don't know if they completely are, but it's really fun while it lasts. How about Aaron Judge in your neck of the woods? Oh they home run every game. I know. Did you see that? This His second home run last night was incredible. 468 feet, just screaming off the bat. I mean, it's been so much fun. And I don't know. I hope he gets to eight. I hope he gets to nine. You know, like, why not? That would be the record. Obviously, eight is the record it's shared. But uh, it's fun. And the Yankees have been so good. I mean, we knew they would be good. But it's still really exciting to see how good they have been. And, you know, I know people might have whatever opinions. Oh, the Yankees are good. But it's it's good for baseball when the Yankees are good. There's no doubt. What is it? It's Mattingly, Griffey. Who, yes. who are the guys who have hit in eight straight? One second. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, no, you're good. Oh, uh, Dale Long. Yeah, Dale Long, right? I, w I would not have. I just know Mattingly and Griffey. Make sure games, home run, stamp. Yeah, I believe that's what it is. That's right. Dale Long of your 1956 Pittsburgh yep. Pirates. If you yep. remember what a great year that was in 1956. <laughs> I, remember when I remember when Mattingly did it. And then yeah. when Griffey was doing, I mean, that's, that's truly amazing. Eight straight games, they hit it over the wall. It's amazing. 
it's incredible, but then you watch Aaron Judge come to the plate every day, and you're like, oh, yeah, he's going to do this in 15 straight games. I mean, <laughs> there was no doubt in my mind when that game started last night that he would hit at least one home run. And I know they're facing the Phillies now, who I think are better than the Red Sox. Obviously, the Red Sox pitching has been a big concern. But, I mean, yeah, he's going to take Jake Arrieta deep, you know? You heard it here first. Well, I, and I got to think people are happy with the way Garrett Cole has started. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's been, as advertised, he's been exactly what they expected, and they have one loss. I mean, this is what you put this team together for, and you have to hope that everything works out. Obviously, this isn't the season that you put this together for, because nobody knew the season was going to be 60 games, and nobody knew everything that would be going on, but, I mean, it's... Every win is a win. They're off to tied for their best start in franchise history. They've only gotten to eight and one, which would be if they win tonight twice, 2003 and 1988. So, you know, I mean, I don't, they'll lose at some point, but I'll believe it when I see it. Well, I I keep trying to tell everybody and you you know, with our old school people, oh, it's early. I'm like, no, it's not early. It's a two month (laughs) season. What do you mean? There's nothing early about this at all. No, there's no early. I mean, you know, people keep putting in these things of what every game is worth, like 2.7, whatever the math is, you know. And even if you don't do that, I mean, just think about the postseason starts probably October 1st around then, right? Season ends September 27th. Think about how soon that is. I mean, that that tells you all you need to know. It's not early. And every every little stretch and streak, whether a team is playing well or not playing well, is going to have a really big impact on the entire season, so much more so than what we're used to in March and April. And we have no clue what our world is going to look like when September ends and October and the playoffs start. I just know this. I'd rather be at home than be on the road. Yeah. Yeah, no, we'll see. I think that there are going to be a lot of sports decisions over these next few months. I mean, I'm very interested to see what happens with football, college football and pro football. I think that, you know, we're – the NBA and NHL MLS seems to be in a separate boat. They're in those bubbles. They're down in Orlando and up in Canada. It's, it's different, but uh, I don't know. I, you know, NFL is going to have to make a decision before we get to our postseason. So I'm interested to see how everything reflects on it itself. Yeah. The Raiders already said today, no fans in their brand new stadium. Mm-hmm. Now kind of fishy to me. Maybe the stadium's not completely ready yet. So it's easy <laughs> to make that decision. But uh, the Raiders are the first team to say no fans. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm the daughter of an infectious disease doctor. I'm not surprised. But, you know, I know that a lot of people have trouble, you know, just processing that fact or understanding how that decision can be made a couple months in advance like this. But I I would imagine, again, knowing absolutely nothing about the NFL, decision makers or anything else, that we're going to see those kinds of statements coming out I know a couple teams have said stuff like no more than 20% capacity and all of these other things so I think fans are starting to grasp the idea that it's going to be different but I mean at this point you we've been watching like what four professional sports all operating without fans in the stands depending on what you're tuning into so I think that seeing it on tv is probably making people understand it a little bit more but I also know that taking away people's football is like on another level and I'm a baseball fan, so it's just different for me. So before you get out of here, just how are things in New York? Because we know at one point the way COVID was was all through New York, New Jersey, and the deaths and all the positive tests and then the protest and the stuff we were seeing on television. How is New York City doing? 
I think New York City is doing well. Um, I know that Connecticut just outside is, I think, right now the only state that's actually on track to contain COVID, at least as of the moment. And hopefully that sort of uh, energy and positivity spreads to the rest of the tri-state area. But I think I think it's doing well. I mean, you go outside, you see a lot of people with masks. You you get the sense that a lot of people are taking this seriously and really trying to look out for others, which is the most important thing. Um, it's certainly not that, you know, very dire situation that it felt like, especially at the end of March and in April. Well, it is wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to read you. It's wonderful to hear you with Buster only. Uh, don't be a stranger. Let's, let's uh, talk again soon. Yes, please. And thank you so much. Great to see you guys. And just, yeah, great to talk baseball. From one MLB.com employee to another. Anthony Kastrovitz has the new book out that's helping explain sabermetrics, analytics, whatever you want to call it, explain it to people and let them understand in a very easy way why they are important. It's a very good read. And also, he's great on MLB.com. Here is Anthony. Anthony, it's always great to have you on the program. Uh, I know life is very busy for you at this point. You got the, the new book out. You're about to have a child. And next thing you know, we got baseball. Man, I did not expect uh, the due date was uh, August fifth. I did not expect that to run so close to opening day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're we're all uh, just adjusting to the the new reality here. You know, I'm really looking forward to reading your book because, like, I'm looking at part math lessons, part history education, dad jokes. It's like analytics, and you know our fan base with the Oakland Athletics ever since Moneyball. I mean, we're we've been knee deep, we've been knee deep in this. But you're going to make analytics, it sounds like, fun for everybody. So even people who have kind of been like, eh, I'm not interested, it's like you're, you're, you're like bridging the other group to say, you know what, you can learn about this and you can enjoy it. Yeah, that's why we called it a fan's guide to baseball analytics. It's not, uh, this is not a nerd talking to fellow nerds. This is, uh, uh, you know, a, a fan and a writer who had to adapt to all this stuff myself over the last 16 years of covering baseball. Uh, explaining it as plain as possible and as fun as possible, um, you know, to, to the ad average fan who hasn't yet grasped all of this. And even those who I, I've even heard from folks who, you know, had a pretty good idea of OPS and, and uh, OPS plus or ERA plus or what have you, who still got value from it, from learning about the history of these stats and, and how they have evolved over time and, uh, and kind of where things are headed too. So, you know, I, I tried to make the math fun. It's it, not always easy to do. And, and some of these, uh, you know, some of these baseball stats, their, their, their names themselves are kind of barriers to entry because they're, you know, they're weird names, they're wonky names. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sometimes that's a turnoff in and of itself. But I, I tried to just kind of demystify the stats and, and, and get people to see that you, know, you can have a lot of fun comparing eras. You can get a better understanding of the game we're watching today. And I think in a season like this where, you know, 60-game season we're about to embark on, you're not going to have a 30 home run guy. You're not going to have a hundred RBI guy. You're not going to have anybody winning 20 games. That's for sure. So uh, it, it helps to understand these, these rate stats that do a better job of just comparing guys relative to the league average to the, to the era they're in. And this 2020 season looks like an era unto itself. So I think those will be important. Well, and, and you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people say this was not a good time, but for books, this might be a great time for your book because a lot of people like us here in Northern California, we're still on phase two. We're pretty much still on lockdown. Yeah. This is a good time to have books out. And, you know, it's very complicated. Like you still try to explain war. Like if you go, how do you calculate war? 
oh my God, you got to read through so much stuff. It's like, Mike, I rather just give me the number. You know, it's, it's like, give me the, give me the baby. Don't tell me about the pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. And, and war has obviously become very popular and a, a go-to metric for, you look at the MVP voting uh, and how heavily it relies on war now, uh, as opposed to five, 10 years ago, it's a whole different world, but you know, and it has its flaws too. And I, I, I'm very quick to point out the flaws of these stats as much as I am their strengths. But at the end of the day, it's, it's as good as we've got for like the quick and dirty means of, of just, okay, what, what kind of ball player am I looking at here? What, what is his war? I, I think that helps a lot. So, um, but yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, there is, there is, uh, I think a lot of people do have more reading time on their hands. I've heard from a lot of people, the interest has been strong. The response has been strong, um, from fans who have, uh, kind of given themselves a crash course in analytics in preparation for the season. You know, I'm looking at your article on MLB.com about the uh, top lineups in the game, and I'm looking at the top five. And, I mean, obviously, you got to pick a top five, but really it's almost like it's almost like dice. I could take any yeah. of these five and roll them, and whoever comes up one. I, and, of course, you have the A's at number five. I look at all five of these lineups. Hell, I look at the top ten. I mean, these these lineups are loaded. Yeah, and there's there's obviously, and believe me, I've heard from the folks who uh, who wish their their particular club had been in that top ten and are frustrated and angry at me, and that that's an annual occurrence uh, when you put out these lists. But it's hard, man. It's hard to sort out, you know, what what do you prefer and and what you know how how would, how do you value a strong like two three four in a lineup versus the the total nine, uh, the total package because some lineups you know kind of peter out after the middle of the order. Um, but the middle middle of the order is so strong that you 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 feel obliged to to involve them. And you look at the Angels right now, for instance, and, and just you know what they've built, um, you know, with Trout and, and Rendon joining that club, and, and Otani, uh, what he brings them from the DH role. I mean, that's a really strong two, three, four punch. But you know, maybe some question marks elsewhere in the lineup. So um, so it's hard. But yeah, I, I do feel good about the top five, as you said. Dodgers number one. I got Twins number two. I got Astros number three. Yankees at four and A's at five and um, I hope people outside of Oakland have an understanding of how good that A's lineup really is, because um, as I wrote, and, and again, this gets back to the book where weighted runs created plus, it really helps you um, have a, a greater understanding of, of, of the strength of that lineup, because you do have to adjust for the context of the ballpark. And that's a big deal in Oakland, obviously. And, you know, there's not a lot of real star power in that lineup outside of Oakland, but hopefully people have caught on to just how good a ball player Marcus Simeon is, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson. Um, and you know, you get Chris Davis back to his norm this year and, and you'd have a pretty lethal top of the order. Yeah. You're talking about a guy that hit over 40 home runs, three straight years, led yeah. major league baseball with 48. If he gets back healthy, doing what he does, it's like adding one of the best free agents you possibly could. But the guy that I zone in on and I try, cause we know we love Marcus. He's a Cal guy. He's a Bay area guy. Uh, grew up in the Bay Area. Matt Chapman, obviously, defensively and offensively is so special. But I don't think people really realize how good Matt Olson is. Because I keep looking at everybody's rankings of first baseman. I went, well, no one, no one digs more balls out of the dirt than this guy. His wingspan, I mean, it's amazing how long and tall he is and how great he is defensively. And really, power-wise... I, I, I get all the other guys in the game and, and I respect the polar bear now coming to New York, but I think this is the year, if he didn't break his hammock bone last year, when we were in Japan, it would have been a different story, but I think this is going to be the year in the next year that people in baseball really realize how special Matt Olson is. 
I, I think you're right. I hope you're right. Cause yeah, I mean, you know, him and Chapman, I mean, what a, what a pairing to have uh, in your corner infield. I mean, that's, that's a good, a uh, uh, cornerstone uh, to work off of as you can have. And that's why, you know, I rate the A's lineup as strong as I do. And, and I think you're right. I mean, I think, uh, I, I think Chapman's name has, has kind of become more commonplace among fans. It's good to see him, you know, make the all-star game last year. Um, but I think the future is very bright for Olsen as well. What What's interesting about your list is in the top five, there's only one National League team, and that team's yeah. number one. And I, it really shows you how stacked the Dodgers are and the fact that now the Dodgers are technically like in our division, which, by the way, I, I, I have been pushing for this for years. I think it's ridiculous that the Rangers and the Astros are in our division. It's a ridiculous that the Rockies are in the National League West. I wish the Giants and the Dodgers and the Padre, we were all in kind of like this West Coast division. I think we're going to head there. But uh, when you rate the Dodgers number one, at the top five, there's only one National League team, and you rate them number one, and it shows that having the universal DH does not hurt them but helps them. It shows you how stacked they are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had the Dodgers at number one on this list even before uh, we knew universal DH would be the reality uh, in, in the National League this year. They are crazy deep, and, uh, you know, for, for them, it's uh, – you know, kind of a, a nice luxury to, to add the DH. And for a lot of teams, um, obviously it improves the NL lineups across the board. That's, that's a given, but they still have more guys than spots, you know? So um, it's, it's an extremely well-built ball club in every area. And there's, there's a reason that they are generally, you know, favored to win the NL West for, you know, for the eighth straight year, but also, you know, to, to do it in, in commanding fashion. It's just a very well-built ball club. And, and they got the best of both worlds where there's more coming, you know, and, and Gavin Lux is, is one of the best pure hitters, uh, you know, in baseball in terms of prospects. And, and you know, the, the upside he brings to that lineup on top of what they already have is pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jock Peterson is a uh, Palo Alto guy from up here in the Bay Area. And it's like, is he going to DH? They wanted to trade him to Anaheim. <laughs> Can he play left field? I mean, you got a guy at 36 home runs. You're wondering what you're going to do with him. And when, when, when I look at, you know, how you put the Dodgers lineup, you know, what's crazy is their versatility. And we talked to Dave Roberts about this down at spring training. It's like the way they can mix and match positions and, and, and put different people at different places they're, they're, they're dynamic. I don't know if anybody really is their lineup from a standpoint of power and versatility. If there's any lineup like it in baseball. Yeah. And versatility is so important in today's game in general. Um, and, and, you know, the A's have demonstrated this over the years. Uh, they've done a lot of platooning, um, but you know, versatility of, of, of having guys, it, it, it's hard to, when you write a list like this now, we put the, <laughs> we put the projected one through nine, but, that's like maybe one day's worth of a lineup. You know, there's so much mixing and matching that goes on in baseball today. And it's not even just straight platoons left, right. It's, it's uh, you know, this guy hits well against this particular pitch that is the starting pitcher's strength, you know, um, or, or, or just the, the way the ballpark that they're playing in that day sets up. And, and this is the best defensive alignment. There's all kinds of things that go in the lineup construction today uh, on a daily basis. So, so having guys who, who uh, you know, can be used in multiple spots, uh, having guys who can hit anywhere in an order uh, without, you know, getting out of their their rhythm or their game plan too much. It's just so vital today. 
you know, obviously you got the Twins at number two, and, you know, they set the record for home runs. And then they add our guy, Josh Donaldson, which is pretty crazy. And then at three, you got the Astros. Obviously, we know all about them. You know, if there's any, you know, two of these teams you have in the top five, if they're, and I don't want to say anyone benefits from, from, from this pandemic, but if you do have to kind of look at it, who has this helped? Obviously, the Yankees with health. Uh, and then I think about the Astros, you know, the vitriol that was coming their way here in Oakland and Anaheim to start the season. We had Richard justice on, who's your colleague at MLB.com who said he went to their camp and they looked worn out. I mean, it was in spring training. These guys were tired of talking about it. They were tired to be questioned about it. They were going to have to deal with this with the media everywhere. they go. Fans were going to repeatedly call them cheaters and screaming at them. Just, just, you know, when I think from the Astros standpoint, no fans, uh, a lot of Zoom media. If anybody really benefits from this pandemic, I think we'd all have to agree it's the Houston Astros. Yeah, I would think so. And it's hard to know exactly how this will all play out, but I was feeling definitely the same way Richard was coming out of camp, and, and they were wearing it, and the fan dynamic is so different for them now. So it's hard not to come to that conclusion. Now, at the same time, there's still pressure on those guys, and, you know, if they were – if, if if any of them were to open the season in a slump, they're going to hear it one way or another. <laughs> you know, they're going to hear, oh, you know, you have the benefit of a trash can now. Um, you know, they'll hear it on social media or what have you. But no question, uh, the pressure is definitely reduced from what they were bound to face uh, in an ordinary circumstance. You know, we, we, we joked. We were uh, right behind A.J. Hinch down in San Diego at the winter meetings, and we were joking on our show as we were walking on the street behind him that we were banging a trash can in San Diego behind him. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's going to be coming their way if there was going to be fans, but obviously there's not going to be fans. Uh, when you start looking later down the list and – you know, I you know, Fangraphs did, did did the projections and they did a 60 game season. They had like 13 teams at the very end being there for the wild card. If you had to pick somebody and say, you know what, this team is going to be the surprise team in 60 games, who would you pick? Yeah, and you know, I think there were potential surprises. And it's hard. And all things are relative when you talk about surprises. I mean, the the Reds and the White Sox, for instance, had a big winter, so maybe they wouldn't be you know, a huge surprise if they were to win their divisions, but um, still those would be clubs that would have made a, you know, a big charge to do that uh, in 2020. And the White Sox won 72 games last year, the Reds won 75. But in terms of what you're talking about now with this, uh, you know, 60 game scenario, I mean, really that could go any number of ways. It's it's how, how well a team stays healthy. First and foremost, we all know that's such a going to be a big separator in this, in this scenario. But you look at like the Tampa Bay Rays, who I, I think is, they're a fantastic ball club. I would have had a really hard time picking them to beat the Yankees over 162. Now, I don't think that's that, that, you know, crazy at all. I, I think they certainly have the pitching to do it. And, um, and when you talk about a short burst of a season where you don't have to protect pitchers and innings limits and that sort of thing, you know, that's not crazy at all. I was, I was picking the A's to beat the Astros before all this went down. Um, kind of going out of limb there, but I don't think that's much of going out on a limb anymore, just because of, again, kind of the same thing where, um, you know, the, the things that are kind of mitigated over 162 or, or maybe depth plays out over 162 and the Astros are maybe deeper, but over, over 60, totally different math. So, uh, you know, those are, those are two clubs that would not surprise me if they did take down a, a couple juggernauts within a division. 
You hear that, A's fans? That's why you need to buy a fan's guide to baseball analytics. I'm looking at Amazon.com right now. You can order it and get get your copy. Let's end on this. I was kind of hoping that we would see a wild trading deadline, you know, with the way finances are going and people are going to dump players are going to make a lot of money and it's August 31st. I don't know about that now with so many teams. If so many teams are really going to be in this to basically the last weekend. I mean, I even thought about God, would this be a time that Nolan Arenado could actually force a trade to Los Angeles and go back home to Southern California. And then you can really make Justin Turner, your DH or Lindor or Bryant or any, what do you think we're going to see August 31st trading deadline? We know money is not going to be like it's normally is. Um, Yeah. Do you see guys getting moved? You know, I, I, I hate to, uh, cause all that stuff is always fun to talk about the trade deadline. I just, I feel like this is going to be so different this year. I feel like it's going to be a really light trade deadline because the primary factor just being the uncertainty of getting to the finish line. And granted, I mean, by August 31st, you'll be pretty close to the finish line. Um, but your, your teams are not going to have very long to assess themselves. 38 38 days, you know, between when the season starts and the trade deadline and, you know, to, to fork over something of significance for a rental or even a non-rental. I mean, that, that, that year of control within 2020, it, it might not, you might have a guy for a couple of weeks and then the season gets shut down. You know, that's, that's a, uh, just a present reality at any time uh, under the circumstances we're in. And then also for the team that would be trading those pieces, you can only acquire guys who are on 60 man lists. And granted, there's a lot of big name prospects on 60 man lists, but you know, the evaluation this year is going to be moot uh, for most of those guys. They're not going to be playing in, in, you know, a minor league season. So, so how do you evaluate where they're at right now? And and how do you know what you're getting? So, um, so for all those reasons, I I just feel like it's going to be a light trade deadline. Uh, One more, since you did this book on baseball analytics, if you could take one analytic and say it's the most important on judging a baseball player, what would it be? So for, for a, um, a position player, I would say uh, weighted runs created plus um, speaking in terms of offense. Now, I mean, actually, wins above replacement is, is going to cover everything. But, um, you know, to get uh, to get into the woods a bit, you know, weighted runs created plus, I think, is the best offensive metric. And uh, and then for a pitcher, I, I go to ERA plus as a starting point, because, again, I want to know how a guy is performing relative to the rest of the league and, and taking his ballpark into account. I, I think those are the two most important factors. And so if you know that 100 is league average and where he is at on that scale, you know, 130, 140, what have you, that's giving me a really good idea of what kind of a season he's having or what kind of a career he's having or looking back in time you know, what kind of a year he had relative to everybody else. So I, I think that context is really important. We finally have a book that's for all baseball fans, just not the super baseball geeks like myself. A fan's guide to baseball analytics. It's a must read. Get it now. And of course, always support Anthony on MLB.com. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time. We always appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the uh uh, your third child that you guys are going to have here during this pandemic. I appreciate that so much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Well, if you're going to talk South Florida baseball, really Florida baseball, Craig Mish is the best. He's the guy that breaks all the stories on Twitter. And of course, with the COVID-19 outbreak with the Miami Marlins, he's the go-to guy.
Craig, it's great to have you back on the program. How are things in the Sunshine State? Well, they could be a little bit better. First of all, I appreciate you having me on for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, pretty much worst case scenario, unfortunately, for uh, South Florida fans who are Marlins fans because they're not going to get them to see them play for a period of time. So certainly uh, not something that I expected to happen and especially happen so quickly. Yeah, I get you know the big question that I have, and it's something that we've talked about on the show. And most people, most baseball people aren't thinking this way. But if you think about when summer camp or spring training 2.0, uh, wh- whatever people want to call it, these players have now been with each other for a while. And normally, if someone would have come in with COVID, like let's say Tyler Glass now, our own Jesus Lazardo, they've already recovered and they're playing. So if there's an outbreak going on now, it means somebody with the knowing what we know about the virus, someone caught the virus while inside this so-called spring training bubble. Do we know any more than that? Uh, you, you mean in the Mar- in terms of the Marlins, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I don't think that that is accurate. I, I think that um, within the bubble, the Marlins basically uh, tested every day for three weeks and didn't have a single positive test the entire time. So this happened when the Marlins left their bubble of South Florida and went on the road to Atlanta to play two exhibition games. Now, what happened there is still remains to be seen. And what happened in between the time that they traveled from Atlanta to Philadelphia is also somewhat in question. So I think as we trace this thing back, I think that is really the source of the issue. And there certainly is rampant speculation about a number of different things going on, all of which no one has confirmed anything yet. But I'm guessing in the coming days, somebody will. Yeah, we're speaking the same language. You just did it better than I did. <laughs> my, my point was, it wasn't like someone caught COVID before they started summer camp, because by that point, they would have been over it. They caught it somewhere along the line while being with the team. Well, whether it was South Florida, as you said, Georgia or Philadelphia, somebody went, it's somehow, and you know, that's the thing for us is, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands, constantly using Purell, you know, use social distancing. Someone caught it while they were a part of the group. Yeah. And, and I think in this case, uh, you know, they, they probably caught it when they went on the road. I just wish that I had more details and information that I could provide, but we, we just don't know exactly how it happened um, at the present time. But I would tell you that once Major League Baseball allowed players to travel, and certainly that's the only way to do it if you're going to be playing in your home parks, you were opening up that possibility. And now we're going to have to find that out. We're going to have to find out and, and, and basically learn a lesson from that. But you know, the one lesson that I've taken from all of this is that if, if you can limit the travel as much as possible, which Major League Baseball tried to do and, and smartly tried to do at the beginning of the season by having the teams play regionally, essentially, uh, then you're off to a good start. But I still think that having teams travel the day before the game is opening themselves up to a world of trouble, because if you're not going to have those tests back until after you land, it's too late. You know, if there's like something positive that we can take out of this, because the other 29 teams supposedly are doing well, um, is that now guys will be taking more precautions. I was looking at a game yesterday with the Cincinnati Reds, and next thing you know, they they pan over the dugout, 
and Sonny Gray and Trevor, Trevor Bauer have their masks just hanging not on. And I'm thinking to myself, why? Maybe, just maybe, with what's happened with the Marlins, the other 29 teams will be like, guys, you got to have your masks on. You got to social distance. You can't be high fiving and celebrating together. Maybe just the Marlins can teach, or just what's happened to the Marlins can teach the other 29 teams. Guys, you got to do the protocols. I don't think there's any question about it that the way that the Marlins are going to be used in this spot is for the other teams to learn. And I would also say for the other leagues to, to learn from this, from in, maybe in the NHL or, or even in the NFL coming up in a few months too. And that's really unfortunate that the Marlins are sort of the litmus test to how to keep this going. But I do think that you're right. I've seen players still spitting on the ground. I think it's pretty obvious at this point. And maybe they'll have to start curbing that. But there's no question to me that the testing part of this is the one thing that needs to change. It may cost more money. And it may cost somebody more money, but this has to be every day. I, I don't believe that this can be every two days or three days or even wondering what could possibly happen. And I understand that Major League Baseball players are in a more privileged position than people like us who are just working stiffs every day. Uh, they got to step it up a little bit more and get these tests back and get them back faster, if that is possible. Well, and then I've been wondering... You know, what are the symptoms? Because some guys don't feel it at all. Freddie Freeman had a high fever. You know, all of a sudden, you know, look at the Marlins. They scored, what was it, 11 runs against the Phillies, and all of a sudden yeah. people are positive, but they just pounded the Phillies. So that's something I'm I'm now real interested in because cases are going up, but the death rate's going down. Do we know how the players actually feel? Yeah, well, there's a lot of players involved here with the Marlins, and, and, it, and it's my you know, just from doing some of my investigating, it seems like most of the players don't have any symptoms. And I've heard a couple potentially that do. And and that's just, you know, sort of polling different people. And it's not easy to get results from that. And a lot of times you're talking to third parties in those situations. So um, it, it does seem that the conditions for a lot of the players are mild. That does appear to be true. But everyone seems to be discussing the one player on the Boston Red Sox, the pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez, who seems to be having it a lot harder than a lot of other players uh, due to his physical health and, and, and having some breathing issues. So I still don't think that we can just look at it and say 90% of the players are having no issue because there's a 10% or a 5% or 1%. I don't know what that is, but whatever the percentage is, you have to protect those players. Where exactly is the Marlins taxi squad? Well, the taxi squad, if I'm not mistaken, is able to travel with the team. So the taxi squad is a handful of players that go with the team just in case anything happens. And then if something happens on the spot, they can use them. They have an alternate campsite, which is in Jupiter, Florida, which is made up of all the players that in case something happens to the taxi squad, then those players would be available to play in a major league game on a call-up situation. Every team has 60 players yeah. that are available uh, on their roster. So um, that's in Jupiter, Florida. Some of those players in Jupiter, Florida will have to be on the Marlins big league roster when they resume, if they resume next week. But they're also going to have to go through a very thorough testing process because several of those players in Jupiter traveled with the Marlins to Atlanta for the exhibition and then traveled back to Florida after they were over. So like for us, uh, the alternate site, is San Jose, which is, you know, about 35 minutes because we have no traffic now. <laughs> and then uh, right. for the Giants, it's it's Sacramento. How far is Jupiter from Miami? 
Uh, Jupiter is probably an hour and 15 minutes, maybe a little bit more, depending on the traffic uh, from Miami. It is a straight drive uh, uh, down Interstate I-95. Uh, it's in the Palm Beach uh, County District, and you would drive an hour and 15 minutes. I always say it depends on how fast you drive. You know that uh, anywhere with traffic. But that's about the the uh, the number there, a little bit over an hour. And how, do you know how much those guys are getting tested? Because we, we know the guys in the big leagues, what, every other day, and some teams now probably every day. But do, do we know how much the alternate site guys are getting tested? I don't know the answer to that, no. Because that, you know, bringing them in – uh, that's it. I mean, it's all stuff. My God, we've never seen anything like this. And it's, uh, it's, it, it is, is crazy. And we know statements coming out from Derek Jeter and everything about protecting the players and hopefully, uh, can, can get this thing out of control and get the Marlins playing again. How far off do you think? Cause we know they've got some young talent. How far off do you think the Marlins are from, from being a team that can really be competitive? I, I thought, I mean, going into this, uh, you know, I thought 2021 was re- reasonable to think that they could be a team that could finish around 500 or maybe even better. They have a top five minor league system in Major League Baseball, and several of those players in a 162 game season this year, I thought we would have seen this year too. Um, now that's very much in question. I think it has to be, and I think all of this has set back teams to a degree, and, and especially a team like Miami that needed to continue to develop those young players. Uh, so I can't necessarily say that 2021 is going to be a winning season, but I don't think that Derek Jeter, their CEO, and Bruce Sherman, their principal owner, who uh, is a huge baseball fan and um, you know, and certainly is, is getting up there in age, I don't think that they bought the team to wait 10 years to win. My guess is in the next year or two. Obviously very big down there in South Florida is the Miami Dolphins, and I just think about – you know, what we're seeing right now with baseball, um, God, football. If baseball has had a hard time starting, I just can't imagine the NFL season. Yeah, and I, and I think that they're very fortunate that they've had all this time to prepare. It is very surprising to me that they are just going to plow on like this and plan on just executing a normal game plan, a normal training camp. Um I mean, I don't want to say that they should be in a bubble or baseball should be in a bubble because I don't think it's realistic for the amount of players that are involved in this. It's not like the NBA. It's really uh, completely different. It's apples and oranges, 15 players on one uh, on one NBA team. Um, they've also eliminated six teams in the NBA to start the season. So I, it's, it's really interesting that they make that comparison because I don't think it's fair at all. But getting back to the NFL – I sent this on social media earlier today. The only way that they can succeed is by traveling the day of the game. They can't spend any time in hotels. You cannot spend any time on the road. You can't put anybody at risk. And if they're planning on flying in their players on Saturday night and staying in a local hotel, no matter how nice it is or no how matter how uh, clean it is, one player could ruin it for the whole team. So that's got to be a starting point. And I know some teams are considering it. It has to be done league-wide. Well, you keep breaking stories like you do on Twitter. You're a great follow, and hopefully things will get better in Florida really, really soon. You take care and you be safe. Well, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. Well, that will do it for A's Unfiltered. We'd like to thank Brian Kinney, Sarah Langs, Anthony Castrovitz, and Craig Mish. All great guests. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 